Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Guys, I'm excited about this one. Waited around for this one for a while. I've got on Shaka Senghor. He is the author of Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison. The book was fantastic. Uh, it really took off. Oprah endorsed it, loved it, and uh, also discovered him because he's been doing some podcasts with Ben Horowitz. If you don't know who Ben Horowitz is, also check out uh, his work. Uh, the Hard Thing of Hard Things is among my favorite books ever, especially because it deals a lot with um, you know starting companies and, and uh, how difficult that is. But a lot of his work, uh, Shaka's work, has been about how people can overcome and also to have that hustler's, that entrepreneur's mentality. And he's been so eloquent on his podcast and who he's collaborated with that he's been a breath of fresh air. So I was honored that he um, wanted to be on the show and was just really, really looking forward to this one. But this was more of a conversation than an interview at, at several times because I got so engrossed in some of the things he said, it reminded me of some of the things that you know, I've encountered uh, in trying to work with other people as well. And so this became a really engrossing conversation that I darn near wish I would have recorded the, the half an hour after recorded because we just kept going and deeply appreciate this man's insights and deeply appreciate this man's work. So again, highly recommend that you check out the book. I highly recommend that you check out his uh, podcast with Ben. He's also been starting to do some things on his own as well. So again, check out the book, Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison. All right, so enough Gavin for me. I know you're going to love this one. The only thing I ask is, this is one of those impactful episodes that if this is bringing you uh, insight, please share. Um, whether you have son, daughter, teacher, you know, boss, whomever, this is one that there's just a lot of insight into what we can do to help our kids, what schools need to do, especially inner city schools, to foster that creativity and harness some of the talent that they possess already. And uh, what can be done about it? And I was really, really impressed the fact that Shaka was very deliberate in his answers on what he would do if he started his own school. So I think you're going to love that. All right. Now we're joined by Shaka Sangor. He is the author of Writing My Wrongs, Life, Death, and Redemption in an American Prison, and also a podcast host and a multitude of other things. Shaka, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. Okay, so I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Um, really enjoyed the book. We can get into that here in a second. But um, if there's one thing I really have enjoyed is that you're sharing really a mindset. And um, I think that's that's universal among a lot of entrepreneurs. They, they I hate to sound cliche, they, they see the world differently. They see opportunities. Um, when did you start developing that mindset of looking for those opportunities? I think my mindset around entrepreneurship really kind of shifted while I was incarcerated, actually, and, and the way that I began to see it. I remember one day reading this book, uh, this book called Thick Face, Black Heart, and the author actually talked about how and within uh, the symbol of crisis um, in Chinese writing that there's also opportunity. And like something about that just really penetrated the way that I thought very deeply, you know, because I realized I was in a very, um, very tough circumstance, very, you know, you know, antagonistic environment. 
And I realized that despite what was happening around me, what was most important was what's happening inside of me. And I just recognized that as an opportunity to begin to chart a new path for myself. Do you, do you think, and we can get into your incarceration, but like, well, I'm giving some of it away. You, you spent time, a considerable amount of time in, in solitary confinement. Looking back, was, was that also part of it? Did you have time to think for yourself? I don't necessarily think that it was so much as uh, solitary confinement itself. It's just the choices I decided to make. And that just happened to be the environment I was in when I decided to make them. And I say that largely because I don't want to encourage people to think that it makes, you know, rational sense to put people on 23-hour right. lockdown yeah. um, for indeterminate sentences. So it really wasn't about that. It was more about the information I was taking in prior to going to solitary and then what I decided to do with that information once I was in that environment. And I mean, you know, the reality is there's all kind of prisons, you know, um, I, I think the biggest prison that, you know, exists is the prison of our minds. And that really isn't about a physical environment. It's more about a mindset and how we think about things. And so, you know, I, it's more about what you do, giving your circumstances as opposed to the circumstances themselves. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you're right. This isn't the glorification of solitary confinement. That's horrible. But I, I I do have to ask, like, when was that turning point? Um, you know, did, was it was it a defining moment? No, it was actually for me. It was actually a series of things happened. Uh, you know, when I reflected back on my incarceration and my time inside, and you know, I was fortunate to meet some incredible mentors. You know, these are men who are serving life sentences. Uh, some of them are, you know, well into their fifties now, and you know they started serving time when they were kids and they're still there, but they had so much wisdom to offer me, you know, during my incarceration. And like, they also led me to reading some of the most impactful books I've ever read in my life, you know? So having great mentors to me is really what kind of set me on a path. And it was a process. It wasn't like a one night, you know, a one day event where I was just like, oh, I need to turn my life around, you know? Um, I came from a very tough background, very tough circumstances. And so it really required a series of, you know, incremental changes. And what what I realized most about transformation, you know, as in uh, success is that it's really just about a series of smart decisions, like not necessarily one big thing, but if you can make those small intentional shifts, uh, you can reduce very different outcomes. I've talked to other people that had similar circumstances and, and it almost, almost seems a shame that some of this, I don't know how to say this, like some of the wisdom that can come out of the prison system isn't amplified, that there's a lot of lessons that, that can be learned and there's a lot of knowledge that could be passed, but it's kind of bottled up there. Um, was that one of the reasons why you kind of wanted to share your story uh, for writing my wrongs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I when I got out of prison, I came out and I just thought the world was going to be so different. I I thought that people would say, you know, okay, here's this guy that went in when he was basically a kid. Uh, he served his time, turned it around. He just wants to get a job and move on with his life. Um, and the reality was, society was very resistant to that, to the idea of somebody even 
having the audacity to want to work, you know. Um, and I've just found that really um, problematic, you know, on so many levels because, like, in order for people to, to, to not only, you know, live but to thrive once they get out, they have to have employment opportunities and housing opportunities. And so because I came home, you know, with this mindset of getting employed and figuring it out, I was disappointed very early on. And, but despite that, you know, I was on this path of figuring it out. So I was selling books uh, that I had written while I was in prison, uh, started a company while I was inside and just came home hustling those books out the trunk. And when I would get into conversation about the books, people would always say, well, you don't seem like somebody who's been incarcerated. And I was like, well, what does that look like in your opinion? Or what do you think? Like people come home inarticulate, um, you know, lacking intelligence and things like that. And people just really never had a real answer as to what they thought. And I just knew that because I had the experience and I had the skill set to communicate that, that it was just the right choice for me to, to you know, write a book that gave people more of a background, understanding how so many of us end up in prison and then what happens while we're in there. Yeah. I, so I, I remember, gosh, it's been several years now. I, I was uh, working at, at a church and they had some free meals and, and there was this really, really nice guy. And, and it was awkward because basically he was asking for money. And while it was, you know, it, this is a free dinner kind of thing, I could tell that there were some people that are feeling uncomfortable. And so anyway, he came up to me, he says, hey, man, I'm really not a beggar, but, and this is what I didn't know. He says, I need, I need money fast. And this is why I was like, okay, to buy drugs or alcohol. And, he's, and, and then I, like, I was trying mm-hmm. to like, not think that. And he says, my parole fees are coming up tomorrow. Uh, I speak for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I didn't know parole cost money. And that was an awakening to me. And then he started explaining to me, he's like, look, this is, this is the cycle. He says, it's so much easier for me just to go back to jail because this whole trying to find a job shit is old. He says, no, because he, he had, unfortunately, he, he had done some time for a couple of petty crimes, but then there was a riot. And unfortunately, you know, something much worse happened. And he ended up spending mm-hmm. another, another 18 more years. So here's a guy that did 22 years. And obviously with a felony record, he's like, I'm trying, man. And I have to pay my bills. And one of my bills is parole. I'm like, you're kidding me. And, you know, so, you know, one, we, we helped him out a little bit. But then seeing that through a different lens, I had no idea. Uh, but I started basically getting a, a class. Uh, I, I started getting okay. an education from him because a, he was telling me how some of the things that he learned, and um, some of them were extraordinary, but I had no idea. I just never thought um, about the whole, what it's like when you're done. And, you know, this was, gosh, this was probably 2008, and the job, the economy wasn't that great anyway. So you finding a job was tough. Tack on, you've got a felony even tougher. So obviously, he had a lot going against him your idea of at least sharing some of your knowledge is brilliant. Uh, like who, like, was that some of your mentors that put together the idea? Did they know that you were already reflective and a good writer? When did, like, when did that thought occur to you? No, I actually, you know, writing my wrongs is the first book I've written outside of prison. And, you know, it really was one of those moments where I just kind of got tired of people like asking questions about, how did somebody like me, because I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, how did somebody like me, you know, and, they, you know, and I was 
smart kid growing up and, and all those things, but you know, there were so many different things that happened that led me down that path. And I was like, you know, as a as a mentor who was working with young men and women who growing up in similar circumstances, I just felt, you know, this this greater need to express that part of it. But then as somebody who was formerly incarcerated, I also wanted people to really be able to understand like what our system does to people and the expected outcomes that the system has, even though that the, there aren't really many structures in place to support people coming home and figuring it out and finding the pathway. And I just felt like that was a contribution that I could make um, with what I felt was relative ease, which was writing a book. Um, now, of course, I know that was crazy because writing books aren't easy to do. Uh, but, you know, I was up for the challenge and I knew that the story was important and that if we can get people to start seeing uh, beyond the crime itself and looking to what leads people down those paths, that we can start making systemic change, which is really important, and that we can humanize the issue in a way that just hadn't been done in the past. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, that conversation and just the fact that it was atonement. Uh, I, I just, the title of the book says a lot. Um, and then so for you to, yeah. you know, try to, to have the audience understand that what was huge. The other thing that's been intriguing to me and, and starting to dig through your work, uh, like, I'll be completely honest with you. I discovered you uh, through Ben Horowitz. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a school teacher. And I, a lot of our so my class was, unfortunately, I run now, well, not unfortunately, I love it. I run a nonprofit because um, our class was called Innovation and Open Source Learning. And that we taught you mm. how to be innovative in maybe the first seven, eight weeks of school. And then we open sourced our learning. By that, a lot of the things that we think that are important, they don't teach. Um, you know, like selling and, and branding and understanding how to, to communicate with your audience and true collaboration. These are things that entrepreneurs live and breathe by. And so a lot of times we would have, you know, we would call and, and we'd have, you know, we had Tim Ferriss call the class and, you know, we, we, would, we would do these really kind of interesting things and, and that's, that's how the class grew. And, um, you know, Ben's book was one of those uh, pivotal moments for me. And so I, I just like the fact that when all of a sudden you guys did some podcasts and you did the hustler's guide to, and, and things of this nature, it just really occurred to me, like you learned is, and I want you to explain it. I shouldn't speak for you, but it seems like you learned quite a bit about entrepreneurship um, through the prison system. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what I, what I actually, I won't say I learned it through the, the prison system. I learned to make the correlation between what the skill sets that I had, developed mm -hmm. growing up in the street mm -hmm. while I was in while I was in prison, uh, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, growing yeah, growing up in the streets coach, and it's one of the things I kinda tell my my mentees who, you know, are still kinda on that pathway and trying to figure it out is that those skill sets are transferable. You know, um because ultimately if you're selling drugs, um, you're an entrepreneur. Um and so the skill sets required to be successful in that industry are the same, you know, skill sets required to be successful in other industries. So you can definitely make the the pivot, you know, because if you're a hustler, you know, I always say if you're a hustler, you can sell anything. It doesn't matter what the product is. You, you, you're a great salesperson. You're a great salesperson. And it's something about explaining it through that lens to, you know, young guys growing up in the hood that really connects in, to them in a, in a real way. And so 
it went a step further once I was in SAD because in order to, you know, uh, you know, um, in order for me to generate capital on the inside, like I, I ran, you know, kind of black market stores and really learned a lot about margins and, you know, um, return on investment, all those different things. I never had like an entrepreneurial language for it. was just kind of like our own language. And once I really started thinking about running a business and, and things like that, I just began to read all the business books on the inside. And of course, when I came home, started connecting with people who were doing interesting things uh, and, and who know a whole lot more about entrepreneurship than I do. But they were able to con- make the connection between like my hustle and my work ethic and, and regular uh, corporations and tech companies. So yeah, it's definitely a, a connection between those worlds. So, okay. I really want to dig in on that one. Um, by the way, thank you. That's a great uh, point that you made. It wasn't really the prison. It was it was the life before that and then understanding just the hustle. So here's one of my big um, struggles. I, I've, in trying to work with students to understand more about, you know, a lot of cases, entrepreneurialism, it seems the bookends are the hardest space uh, to to do this. And by bookends, I mean, the schools that are on lockdown, you're not, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to talk. And then the other bookend is the schools that have the preparatory schools and that we have tradition, you know, we, we can, we can, you know, memorize our way to top. It seems like the, this, this, the schools in the middle are ones to start now focusing on, you know, thinking about automation and think about the jobs of the future. But here's the thing that drives me nuts. It seems as like your point you're making, there's a lot of inner city, inner city kids that know a lot about marketing, that know a lot about entrepreneurship. They're just not given the opportunities in the traditional education system. Then those kids oftentimes are not interested in school. And then that starts a, a, a cycle of, you know, education isn't as important. And, and I, I think that if more schools would be interested or involved in some of the things that you're talking about, I think a lot more young people would feel successful because like they already have a skill set. Yeah. I mean, I, I think our current school system just sucks to be honest. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, as a mentor, I go to school all, all throughout the, the uh, country and I meet some of the most amazing, innovative kids, super talented. And a lot of times there's a couple of things that, that, that's at play that we just don't talk about in this country, which is ridiculous, given the resources that are available. But one, we don't talk about mental health and PTSD of kids who are growing up in really tough, mm-hmm. tough circumstances. Yeah. And, you know... It, it's, it's really a missed opportunity for us to create the type of world that we all say that we envision and want. And it's really unfortunate because these kids suffer um, as a result of our failure to do anything about things that are fixable. But, you know, when I used to go into the schools in Detroit, the thing that always perplexed me and frustrated me was like the condition of some of the schools was in worse condition than any prison that I've ever been in. And then the mentality of the people who were responsible for caring for the kids, you know, throughout their stay there, whether it was security or teachers, and just the way that they talked to the kids with this lack of understanding about what they're, what these kids were, were up against, you know, just getting to school in a, in a very volatile environment and going through 
uh, some of the neighborhoods that were, you know, really visual eyesores and, and things like that. And so, you know, it's like you can't expect kids to perform at the highest level when they're not even given uh, the basic dignity of the, the basic dignity of like respect and, and um, care and, you know, and being treated like kids. You know, they're forced to grow up way too fast given the levels of gun violence and things of that nature. So I just think we're missing an opportunity, you know, to tap into the unique uh, way that these kids uh, navigate the world, you know, and their fortitude is, I mean, it's so impressive, like, to know that despite how horrible some of the things are that they're faced with, they still get up and show up. And they really just want to uh, be treated as somebody who's really trying to participate in their dream and, and being supported in that. Uh, something that we're just missing the mark on. Mm. Okay, I love that. I love that. So let me ask you uh, uh, what you think about this one. Um, I'm going to start with, uh, we'll say this middle school, because I was going to go with high school, but sometimes you know, sometimes things are already set. So let's just say, um, well, heck, Oprah endorsed your book, right? She loved your book. Say Oprah calls you and okay. said, all right, um, I'm going to fund a school and you get to dictate the curriculum. And because uh, this, is, this is something I'm deeply passionate about. I think that some kids don't like what we talked about earlier. Like some kids don't feel successful because they don't they don't play the game of school, but they know how to learn. Like that, that was right. that was me. Like and then we, we say these things. Now. It seems silly. Like I did not go to college to learn. I went to college to get a degree. Now, did I learn things? Yes. But now we have to acquire skills because Back in 1990, whatever, if you had a degree, that separated you from a lot of other people. That has changed. So now, like, a lot more companies are starting to look for skills. And I love the point you just made. So Oprah calls you, says, Shaka, you have your own middle school. Or, like, let's just start with fifth grade. What curriculum, like, what are, how is your school different? What are you providing other than reading, writing, and arithmetic? Yeah, I would, first of all, I would remove all structure from the school. Um, all of the old models of you have to remember remember this, and this means that you're smart. Um, and, you know, I would have, like, more about innovation, um, you know, design thinking. Like, I would be more in that space of really allowing people to show up how they show up in the world. Mm. Um, I would recruit based on pre-existing skill sets and how do we enhance those mm. um you know i would you know really put into the school um a way of determining talent like not just whether somebody's like you know book smart but whether this person is talented you know like who's yeah. the talent you know communicator and, I, and I always just think about it like you know everything that we see as a problem there's also uh something's special within that that can be utilized right so we got a student who loves to talk in class instead of just punishing them maybe it, the, the 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 likely outcome will be oh this person could be a motivational speaker or broadcast journalist or something that really you know supports what they love to do and i, I, would, I would determine that i would remove the grade system i think that's kind of ridiculous because everybody learns on their own curve, you know, like I'm sure my seven year old can, you know, compete in middle school right now, you know, and it's not, uh, but he has to wait and he has to be patient to go through the system that says, okay, now you're smart enough to move on. 
mm. when realistically he's already smart enough and it's just the way that the school is structured is so limiting, you know? And so, you know, those are the things, entrepreneurship, you know, marketing, guerrilla marketing, um, vocational trades. I think people are um, missing out on opportunities to see the value in uh, trade, in the trades now, you know what I mean? Business is booming in construction. And so there's great opportunities for people to make a life for themselves. And everybody's not meant to be an intellectual or, uh, you know, some type of, you know, professional in other areas, but that doesn't mean that they don't add value to society. So it would really be more intermingled around that identity of, you know, your graduation is your contribution. Like it's not, yeah. uh, you're graduating based on, you know, how many grades you made it through, right. but you graduate when you are able to contribute in a meaningful way to society and to your own sense of well being and growth. So this is a, I love that answer. Uh, and, and, and to be fair, that's at what I most idealistically try to set up my class to be that innovation, open source learning was kind of that, like you brought to it what, like it was mm-hmm. selfish, like, Hey, what do you want to learn? And, you know, after I, after we had some lessons on yeah. how to like design thinking and some things you were talking about, that's what we provided, but then it became open source learning. So if you said, I want to learn how to code in Python, okay, I don't do that, but we can open source that and we can call people. I let right. students sometimes leave. I let them find mentors, but here's my pushback and here's my question. Sometimes I still brought the horse to the water and they wouldn't drink. So, and, and, and this is like, this is a complex problem because in some cases the kid, like for 200 years, we've like, I, I, I got why we were like, why school was the way it was, but now some of the kids are playing the game of school. So as long as they pretend that they're working, I'm using bad air quotes, then they got the A. So if you said, Hey kid, work mm-hmm. for like, do something meaningful. What do you do when the student goes, do I get an A on this? And you're like, no, 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 no. Like, do something meaningful for the world. I'd rather just memorize stuff. Because that's the, that's the hard transition. Like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, too. Like, it's sexy to say that you're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Okay, what are you working at? Well, I'm just influencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, is, that is something that, and that's one thing I admired about some of the th- things you were coming out with, especially, like, the hustler's guide, too. And, you know, like, that hustle mentality has also been the hard part is if the kid is like just yeah. used to pretending being in school. And by the way, I'm not bad-mouthing good students who just memorize good stuff. Like, th- like understand why they do that. But that's a different skill set. Hustle is a way different mm-hmm. skill set. How do you teach hustle? You know, I honestly believe that I do have that or you don't. Um, I think you can, you can develop the skill set to run a business, right? Um, I think you can train people to run a business like, hey, here's the things that you must do. But it takes a different type of mindset to go out and create other business opportunities based on the business you're running. And some people just don't have that. And that's OK, too. Like, like I don't think everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. Everybody's not meant to be a hustler like you. You have some definite mindset. You have to be a risk taker. Um, you have to see no as just one more opportunity to, to go harder. Like, you know, there's, there's internal things that you have to have in order to be an entrepreneur. Cause as you know, uh, none of this stuff works out the way that we envisioned it the first time. Rarely do people get it right. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of failure, a lot of money loss. Like you gotta have the stomach for losing your cash, other people's cash. 
And I think people who are risk adverse should be the people who stand spaces where they're, you know, have minimal risk to worry about. Um, And it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't think that a teacher's failed to do their job if somebody doesn't rise to the level of entrepreneurship that others do. I think a teacher's done their job when they recognize that they're bringing out the best of who that student believes themselves to be and supporting Mm. that. And if Mm. you're doing that, then you're, you've done your job, you know? And, and, and I think even with that, like there, there's a way that we frame it in society as underachievers or, you know, people who just, you know, are, are syphilis and lazy. And sometimes the reality is that this just how they're made up, you know? Um, Oh yeah. And you know, in other cases there are, yeah. In other cases there are external factors of, you know, childhood abuse and things like that that we have to think about. And I think that's why it's important to inform the whole child as opposed Uh, to just these bits and and pieces of them. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, some of my best students, I I love that, that you're starting with a place of empathy because in fairness, some of my best students, matter of fact, most of them were C&D students at best. Uh, because one, mm-hmm. the, the environment was like, hey, we're in this together. And it was kind of a rogue kind of class anyway. But we built those bonds and that helped. But I, I, I really like the, the points you're, you're making a, a about like just enhancing what they're already good at. You know, uh, and, 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 and but this is this is the mm-hmm. again, this is the hard part of like the culture of school has been don't get an F. And what you just said accurately was you got to learn how to fail. Those are two opposing forces. There is no, don't fail in school. Now you can't get into that famous college. And again, not bad mouth in college. College is a way out of poverty for right. a lot of people. But like, take those risks. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no risk here. Because like, that's how an entrepreneur is made. The kid that just doesn't, like, there's no, no denying that a lot of entrepreneurs weren't good at school, but they were good learners. They just didn't care about the letter grade. So they went ahead and learned because they had to. And I've seen so many people that mm-hmm. have had a life lesson. Like it is very common. Like uh, one of our board of directors, like JT McCormick is a, just a, a wonderful human being, but he, I don't think he minds me saying this. He, he was raised by prostitutes. Uh, you know, he's, he's mm. his dad was a pimp and his mom was an orphan and he, he was raised by prostitutes. Him seeing a different side of the world and him having to provide for himself because there's no other option made him better. Now, he would wish that upon no child. He does not want that to be for anybody. But he has to say, like, school wasn't necessarily his first priority. His first priority was getting his brothers and sisters fed. But that made him into a different person. It gave him a different work ethic. It gave him a different skill set. And while I, I, you know, again, don't want to wish that upon anybody, um, it, it, it does, you know, have some unique interest in the sense that, man, like you said, sometimes entrepreneurs are born and not made. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that getting them to find opportunities and them getting to want to do more uh, seems to be a, a tough task, especially with the culture of school is not wanting to accept failure. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's the, that's also like one of the, the big problems in our schools. I remember one time I was writing for a local paper and I, uh, I interviewed some students about what it was like to get to school. At, at the time in Detroit, they were going through this kind of uh, emergency manager crisis where they had basically 
move students all over the city out of their own district into schools across the uh, city. And I was asking these students, like, what was it like, you know, to get to school every day? And they had these horror stories of their experiences, the ones who lived on the opposite side of town. They had to get up extra early, which meant it was really dark outside where they were waiting for buses. And I remember this one young lady just basically crying, you know, as she was telling me the story of her being accosted every morning by different men, you know, as she's at the bus stop. And then when she would walk into school, you know, she would kind of have her headphones in to kind of block out, you know, the the horrible experience. And then the teachers would just start barking at her. And, and you know, and I'm like, when, as I listened to her story, like I had one of those moments where I was like, you know, these teachers don't even get it because as an adult, their pathway to work is very different from these kids' pathway to school. And so, you know, I asked the teachers, I was like, you know, how would you, how would your day be if as soon as you walked into school, your boss walked up to you and was like, you know, your desk is a mess, your hair is a mess, your clothing looks, you know, tacky. Can you fix that? Can you straighten that up? Can you, can you, all these different things, right? And you can see all of the teachers were like mortified to think of what, their day would be like if that's how their boss treated them. And I was like, but this, this is what you do mm. to kids and then you expect for them to learn. Mm. And they all had that moment of like, oh shit, like we're really screwing this thing up without being considerate of what these kids home experiences mm. are. You have kids coming in who haven't eaten yet. Kids right. coming in who haven't slept because their parents are running in and out of the door uh, you know, dealing with a drug addiction or, you know, kids who live in highly volatile environments where, you know, it's not unlikely for their childhood friends to get murdered. And then they still have to get up and come to school the next day. And, you know, until we can be honest about those things, I think we'll continue to, Mr. Mark, when it comes to creating spaces for kids to learn um, as opposed to being, you know, trained to just repeat information uh, that may or may not be useful to them. That is a fantastic point to end on. I see so much potential and you're right. If you don't start off with some understanding and empathy, well, one of the oldest sayings in teaching is kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And here we are talking about innovation and starting things over from new and running, and yet we're going back to exactly what, what has always been. If you care and understand first, people are willing to learn more. So that is a wonderful, wonderful way. Uh, to end. All right. Yeah. So uh, wrapping it up, I, I want to encourage people. Uh, number one, well, you know what? You flex on the fact you've got, so, you got a lot of things going on. Tell everybody where I can find you, some of the podcasts, all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm super excited with, with a lot of the projects that I have uh, coming up. You know, I'm coming up on celebrating 10 years of freedom. So I'm really excited about what that's going to look like for me and how to include other people in that celebration. I can be found across all social media under my name, Shaka Singor. Uh, so I'm pretty consistent with that part. And um, I'm excited. You know, we got the Hustle and Tech uh, podcast out with Ben Horowitz. Ben Which Horowitz is excellent, by the book way. It's coming out. Uh, it's going to be super exciting. Uh, oh, you're part, of, that you're, part book, of, so. you're part of Ben's new book as well? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I'm actually featured in two chapters. So awesome. it's pretty cool. Uh, and Ben, Ben's amazing, a great friend of mine, and, and really one of my uh, great inspirations. So just yeah. really, uh, you know, excited about that 
potential uh, of, of the book and what that'll become in the world. Well, yeah, you know, good, but soccer, yeah, the new company is Soccer Singore Inc., which houses all of my creative uh, properties and also my consulting, um, you know, uh, work. It's one of the things I'm really excited about is consulting for different companies on culture and how to create, you know, a healthy culture for your company. Well, I got to admit, I, um, this surpassed, I, I, I love your insights on improving education. I can't agree with you more. I'm not sure if you heard me smiling through the microphone, but and nodding my head, but, uh, I love it. And, and yeah, these, these changes are needed. And, and I, I think through some of your work, um, I just love the audiences you're hitting. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Horowitz and I can see exactly how he's fitting in and, and how you guys are collaborating. Uh, I always remember, you know, when he did the hard thing of hard things, I mean, he was quoting Chuck D and I'm like, Oh, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he, he's, a really, he's a really, he's a genuine hip hop, like, Oh, basically off, a hip hop historian. Oh, like off air, real. I could off air, I could go toe to toe. I uh, yeah, as, oh, dope. as an as an as a guy's age forty seven, I could tell you all things. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, although yeah, I wish forty seven as well. So yeah, uh, really, get it. <laughs> yeah, man. I wish yeah. I wish Public Enemy would would. Mm, we need Chuck D right now. Uh, it's getting a little, <laughs> no, right. getting a little stale in hip hop lyrics. Um, Anyway, that's probably another episode, but yeah. no, I, I, I love the fact that, yeah, you're working with Ben and I've been digging some of the, 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 the podcast stuff and just starting to see your Hello. name pop up here and there. And I'm just yeah. super, super, super excited about what you're doing. And I sincerely want to thank you for, uh, for being on the show and sharing your wisdom. Now, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm looking forward to more.